Hello and welcome to The Fincher Takes It All, a limited series podcast which celebrates and reflects on the filmography director David Fincher ahead of the release of his next movie, Mank. I'm your host, Emily Murray, and today I'm joined by film and TV journalist Clarice Lockery to discuss Gone Girl, Fincher's adaptation of Gillian Flynn's novel. The film follows Nick Dunn, who becomes the focus of an intense media circus when his wife goes missing. And of course, her disappearance isn't exactly what we expect. Me and Clarice discuss the concept of Cool Girl, why the relationship between Amy and Nick is so intriguing, and why Fincher was the perfect filmmaker to tackle this story. But first, here's a clip. Then Nick will die too. Nick and Amy will be gone, but then we never really existed. Nick loved a girl I was pretending to be. Cool girl. Men always use that, don't they, as their defining compliment. She's a cool girl. Cool girl is hot. Cool girl is game. Cool girl is fun. Cool girl never gets angry at her man. She only smiles in a chagrin, loving manner and then presents her mouth for fucking. She likes what he likes. So evidently, he's a vinyl hipster who loves fetish manga. If he likes girls gone wild, she's a mall babe who talks football and endures buffalo wings at Hooters. Hello, Clarice, and welcome to The Fincher Takes It All. How are you today? I'm good. I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Um, and there's just there's such an insane amount of stuff to say about it. So I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. <laughs> we were saying before we started recording, like, what are we going to talk about? Because it's such a... It's such a good and layered film, but I'm sure I'm sure we'll handle it. But before we get into Gone Girl, which is what we're talking about today, I just want to tell the listeners a bit about yourself and what you do. I am a film critic. <laughs> <laughs> I write about movies. I I write about movies uh, for the Independent and also for other places. Uh, <laughs> I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad at talking about myself. But also you have a podcast as well. Yes, The Next Supremes, which I do with my friend Anna and we, we are watching American Horror Story from beginning to end. We have reached Coven, so we've actually made quite a lot of headway. <laughs> like, I'm impressed with us. That's what lockdown's for, isn't it? It's for everyone to sort of make their own podcast a bit like what I've done and what you've done yeah it is exactly the kind of podcast that you would only create in lockdown when you can go outside it's going hey do you want to talk about American Horror Story every week (laughs) yes yeah so if you like American Horror Story want to get to know that then I'd recommend The Next Supremes Uh, so obviously we're talking about Gone Girl today but I think before we get into the film itself I just would like to know your general thoughts on you know David Finch as a director is he someone like who you say you enjoy most his work and do you like look forward to seeing his films I David Finch is really interesting I feel like I'm giving you kind of the same answer that I gave you on the Christopher Nolan podcast like <laughs> well no I, I I really I like all of David Finch's movies almost exclusively um but I find I find him this very interesting little like mystery. <laughs> I can't quite like yes. crack him because he seems there's a weirdness to him, but I can't place what the weirdness is. So <laughs> I know exactly yeah. what you mean. I'm yeah. just intrigued yeah. by him. And I think his films are, f- are fascinating because I can always sense like this little stretch of distance between like him like him as an artist and the film the films that he creates 
you know, he's not like a like a Damien Chazelle where every film he makes is like semi-autobiographical and <laughs> it's very passionate and it's all of him is in there. I feel like David Fincher, you watch his films and you're just like, okay, what parts of his personality are in this film? Yeah, yeah, I totally get what you mean. It's Yeah, there's a distance there and I'd hope so considering he makes films like Seven and... <laughs> I hope there's no connection there but this is I mean this is what I'm really interested about uh, Mank for because I feel that if there's any film in which Fincher puts himself into it it would be Mank which I know you've seen which I'll ask you about later but I feel that that might change I don't know but um when I asked you if you wanted to do this podcast you were like yes and I knew when I said what movie I knew you'd say Gone Girl I just knew that you'd be a fan of Gone Girl (laughs) Yeah, it is my favorite David Fincher film. I think by like quite a stretch, you know, just not to diss the other films. I just love Gone Girl so much. Yes, and, I understand. Yeah, and it is also, again, like a little bit of a mystery. Every time I watch it, I feel like I come away with a slightly different perspective on all the characters and who's thinking what and doing what and the psychology and how it all fits together. Hmm. Yeah, because it's a really unique film in a sense of it is all about what's going on in the character, two main characters in their heads, but also I still feel that I've not quite unraveled it yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I think we are so unused to seeing a film like this where, and I think a lot of that credit comes down to Gillian Flynn and her novel Mm. to present a woman this complex and what what's interesting about gongo is that i feel like there's an impulse that you want to go oh it's like anti-feminist because it presents this idea that you know women want to you know manipulate men and create these accusations of abuse and create you know you know it seems like it should be like anti me too but yeah it's not it isn't it isn't (laughs) like if you actually sort of dig into the the texture of the film and the yeah the sort of like underlying narratives of it you go got it this is actually like a really great to me feminist piece of work in terms of what it what it's actually saying Hmm. have you read the book out of interest the uh julian flynn novel i've not (laughs) you should clarice come on (laughs) i I am such a weird reader. I don't read the books I want to read. I just end up reading like something I've randomly picked <laughs> off the shelf. <laughs> so um, I hadn't read it until until lockdown when I decided that it's about time I read some novels. And I picked Gongo up. And um, as you said earlier, like a lot of the credit should go to Gillian Flynn for creating this really interesting, complex character in the terms of Amy Dunn but also the story like I feel that I so I read the book and then I went and watched the film again and I watched it recently for the podcast as well but I feel that David Fincher really taps into that aspect of the novel about how like complicated these these people are as you say like you presume it is anti-feminist but it really like it really isn't yeah I think like the greatest argument for the fact that Gone Girl actually supports the Me Too movement is the fact that it presents like for a woman to actually be lying about abuse situations she has to be the insane fantastical you know 
impossible to be real psychopath that is Amy Dunn. <laughs> like, so I find, I like, I find it quite sort of, re- you know, not reassuring. Like, it, it's quite, yeah, it's quite supportive yeah. of the meat because it's like, look, this is the kind of person you have to be to actually want to <laughs> lie about something. So, like, when you are accusing some normal, real person of making something up, like, you are the one who, are, you know, you're not having any grasp of reality. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird because the thing I found, like, kind of, I think it, the whole idea of Gone Girl, you know, it's full of, like, conflicts and parallels and stuff that I say you think it's anti feminist, but actually it's feminist. And do you know what I mean? It's full of those sort of juxtapositions and conflicts. And the thing I find weird about the characters is how real they feel, but also, like, it clearly is taking place in, like, it's not real, if that makes sense. Like, it, this would only happen in a movie, but why does it feel so grounded in realism if that makes sense yeah i feel like what the the book and the film are doing it's sort of taking kind of impulses and it's like what if all these characters acted on the their sort of worst impulses the ones that yeah it's like the extremes yeah yeah yeah, so it's like the, all the emotions of it are grounded in a reality, but it's just the actual, like, doing Actions the action themselves. part. Yeah, is the thing yeah. that no one would ever do. It's like people have bad marriages, but who then plots to frame their husband for murder? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, like, the most elaborate, like, oh, he has I love a diary it so <laughs> and a calendar, like, that no one would do that. Yeah. No one's doing that. And I think Finch is a really good director to ta- to tackle this particular story. Not only because, like, at the end of the day, it's a mystery and there's that sort of murder aspect and you need, we're sort of, like, unraveling secrets and he's really good at building tension but also building, like, a really immersive world. He showed us that before in Seven and Zodiac. But he's also, like, we know Finch is a meticulous filmmaker. Um, like, from the stories of the amount of takes he you knew he shoots and he really pays attention to detail. And I feel that you need that approach with this story where you have a character like Amy who's equally as meticulous. Yeah, maybe Amy is David Fincher. <laughs> maybe that's the part of his personality he put in there. <laughs> because, like, you look, if if David Fincher was going to fake his own death <laughs> and he would, blame yeah. a significant other, he would... <laughs> go to these this extent <laughs> and he would be this meticulous and he would get away with it because he'd, he'd be looking at all the details yeah well that is the thing it's like gone girl works because of the details which is why you needed someone who is so like it's frust- not frustrated but you know what I mean like he's so painstaking when it comes to comes to the detail of a story yeah and I think as well it's not just details to sort of um explain the plot and explain her plan it's details that really reveal character i think one of my favorite bits in gone girl in terms of just how revealing it is is just to skip to the right to the very end (laughs) but when um amy returns and she's in the hospital and she's being interviewed by the police and she's giving this big dramatic story about 
oh Neil Patrick Harris was about Desi yeah sorry I just called him Neil Patrick Harris I know Desi Collins (laughs) Um, Desi Collins sorry he captured her and yeah um not actual actor Neil Patrick Harris I'm sure Neil Patrick Harris is lovely beloved Broadway star (laughs) he's lovely (laughs) I'm sorry I didn't mean to imply anything I just always call actors by their names I know what you mean but when she's like yeah telling that story go on she's doing all that (laughs) and (laughs) uh Nick is in another room and they catch each other's eyes through the Mm. the window and he just like gives the stupidest little like wave (laughs) like in a grin he kind of grins and gives this like stupid little wave and to me that is so revealing about who he is as a person like this absolute like gullible doofus <laughs> he's a man child yeah and yeah. he's just there's a reason why amy like can manipulate him so much it's like when uh there's a bit where he doesn't he like bump up she asked him to bump up his life insurance her life insurance is that it? yeah and then the police, like, he's like, oh, I just signed the papers because she told me to sign them. And you were like, Nick, come on, man. Like, where's your brain? Yeah, he's so, so eager to please um, this woman. Like, he seems like the kind of man who, like, well, that's the thing that Amy says. It's like, you were at your best when you were trying to please this C-word um i don't know if i'm allowed to say that word on this podcast but um yeah, not that word other swear words are allowed yeah. <laughs> yeah and and he he's so like consumed by this desire to be this perfect husband to her even though he can't do it and he's always mm. lacking and that's why amy does this whole thing in the first place but he's still so stuck in that mode that yeah after he has found out that she has framed him for murder and wanted him to be executed for it Mm. she gives him a little look through the window and he's still like hey hey Hey, amy like he can't help himself it's completely second nature even though he knows he knows that she is like a manipulative bitch yeah yes yeah (laughs) didn't want to say it but yes <laughs> uh, don't worry i said it i said it for you i think um i just find those two characters of nick and amy so fascinating because like they, there is just so many layers to them and like especially and like credit to rosamund pike and ben affleck which i'm sure we'll talk about their amazing performances in a bit but you know the characters like there's so many layers and it's what you said earlier it's like nick's so desperate to be this perfect husband but then like he, cause like he is just really unlikable. Like they both, they both are unlikable, which is another thing I find so interesting about this film. Cause I hate both of them. Um, cause he's lazy and you know, like when he loses his job, he spends all his money on games and he doesn't really seem to be in a relationship, like dedicated to a relationship. Like he's having an affair with a student, which obviously is an awful thing to do. And then she's obviously like, she literally tries to frame her husband for murder and get him executed. So they're both really unlikable, but I can't help but be drawn to them. Um, I don't know why <laughs> I think possibly because they're so drawn to each other and that's the really mm. horrible gross thing about the end is that yeah. she's right that like they're not going to find anyone else that not makes them happy but they're never going to find anyone else that knows each other as well and that's yeah. the thing they know each other inside out 
and that's why it gets so ugly because they know their weaknesses as well as their strengths and (laughs) you sort of end the movie feeling like I guess they were meant to be (laughs) (laughs) that's what I yeah yeah, that's what I love at the end it's just like they deserve each other but then you're like it's just so messed up though like it is a messed up film but at that this is why I'm so fascinated by how by how well it works because they're both unlikable, they're both they do horrible stuff, but then they shouldn't be together. But then also you're like, no, they deserve to be together. Like there's obviously a bit of there's clearly love between them as well, but it's a weird fucked up love for sure. It's sort of like they found you know like it's a tennis match and they found like the ultimate competitor where they could just volley into eternity. Yeah, <laughs> because if they'd been with different people he's gonna betray and cheat on whichever woman he dates and you know that woman will be disappointed and broken and she'll leave whoever amy is with she will you know just manipulate them and try and shape them into whatever she pleases and like they will be broken by that but these two people together they can't break each other and that's the reason why they should sort of have to be together forever <laughs> it's the only lasting relationship they'll ever be able to create and that's really depressing yeah, but it is know, really depressing great. but that's that's also just david fincher films in general are they just make me really depressed since i've started doing this podcast <laughs> but i know what you mean it's like the only way they can have satisfaction in their lives is by playing the mind games on each other um because it is like like it's just such a good mind game as well like it's so fiery and like fucked up and intellectual and you know they're not like together during the film really having this sort of mind game as well it's not a traditional like villain hero mind games it's just it's just very cold and distanced and i think it helps to have the other characters like amy's ex-boyfriend and also the student that nick is having an affair with because you see how they treat other people and it sort of informs their relationship. Yeah, yeah. And they wonder they don't have friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, because she has no friends and he only mm. has his twin sister as his friend. Oh, Margot. I love Margot. <laughs> I think in a film like this, you you do need like that sort of like that those warming characters in a way. I'm not saying Margot's like perfect but i really like how she's just so unimpressed by everything going on like it's clear she doesn't like amy and she's like just unimpressed by nick's behavior and it's like margot like speaks sense to me because this is how like people should be reacting (laughs) but they're not um i also think it's crucial that she's once it's revealed like once he reveals the affair he's having or also amy's plan i think it's crucial that she is there as a support network for him so it's not just him and his own, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think that she... I guess she's the audience, in a way. Yeah. And, I don't know, do the audience naturally lean towards wanting to support Nick, or are we on Amy's side? That's what I find interesting. It's like, I don't mm. actually know where I stand. <laughs> I guess I don't support either of them at all. Yeah, I'm the same. That's why also the scene when you know it cuts to her narrative is just oh that scene I remember when I first saw it in the cinema and it cuts to her driving the car I mean her I can't remember what the words she says are but uh, revealing basically what's happened I was like holy shit like did not see that coming but it automatically like turns the tables on its head because you're so 
because we're getting this sort of false narrative from her about you know in the diaries that she's been writing for the cops to find you hate nick but then when it's revealed that she's been plotting you know to kill him um because it is as you say like trying to get him executed um like it completely changes your opinion on the character yeah i think the first line she says is i'm so much happier now i'm dead that's it why can't i remember it something like that just because i love it it's such a great and i noticed this time watching it it's pretty much halfway through the film that it yeah happens. yeah it's it's like exactly halfway yeah um, perfect like shoop. Mm, mm. and really like i don't know like it just really took me by surprise as well uh the way it's delivered because it's not like delivered in a loud loud way um uh, like visually it's just her driving the car saying it's like really i think it's a bit like a sarky line uh but uh, like it's subtle but it doesn't need to be shouting in your face like it's just a subtle like pulling the carpet underneath you yeah i think a poorer film would have maintained the idea that she was totally innocent right until nick discovers mm. it you know and to have the sort of big reveal near the end where he uh i guess maybe when he discovers the boxes in the woodshed and he's like oh my god she's been lying and then you'd like cut to her side of the story i think that's what a far more conventional film would have done but here to have it it does feel really sudden yeah but i said not in a showery way um like i really do like the way it's delivered it is just such a holy shit moment um one perhaps my favorite moment in the film just because the way it's just taken takes you by surprise but it's what you said earlier it's like it's such a unique story because it feels like when you read the uh, description you know like just a literal plot description when his wife's disappearance when his wife's disappearance having come to focus on intense media circus and man sees a spotlight turned on him like it sounds like a conventional thriller but it's really not in a way it's told yeah because I think it's not so interested in the the mystery crime aspect of it. It's more about the psychological portraiture of two of an extremely fucked up marriage. And I guess we're so used to seeing crime movies and movies about murder and disappearances. You're fitting a very strict formula. To suddenly be ripped out of that is... A disorientating but in a really nice way which I guess is what he does with a lot of his films and, and Mindhunter's sort of like that you really think Mindhunter is going to be one thing and it it's just yeah, spins it around and you go oh okay I feel kind of weird but in a good way <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah it's exactly what he does with uh with Gone Girl. I did want to ask you about the famous Anne Hathaway clip <laughs> where she says Gone Girl is her favourite rom-com. And then the audience are just like silent. But then I remember that went viral. And everyone's like, wait, is Gone Girl a rom-com? Because do you know what? It has like certain elements to it that makes me totally see where Anne Hathaway is coming from here. Because doesn't she list something really conventional first when she's like, when Harry met Sally? And also Gone Girl. Also Gone Girl, yeah. And she kind of looks <laughs> at the audience and be like, ah? <laughs> Which I love Anne Hathaway. I know. Because I feel that she she said it as a joke, but also I feel that she's also being deadly serious. <laughs> yeah, I think it's her recognising that there is 
a, there is an absurdity to this movie. And I think go back to that scene of him waving at her through the window at the end, which I find so funny. And you look at you're like, you're such an idiot. Like this woman tried to kill you. And you're like, hey. and, and that's the great thing about having Ben Affleck in this movie is that he, he could do this sort of sheepishness so well. It's just really gullible and you kind of you kind of want to feel sorry for him, even though he's a dick. Yeah, like what he's <laughs> done he is, is a dick. so awful. But you're like, but also you're like such a dumb little baby. Yeah, Nick. he's like kind of like a puppy. I'm not saying anything about Ben Affleck. I don't know Ben Affleck. Don't know his personality, but Nick and the way that Ben Affleck plays Nick, you're just like dumb little baby. What? Is- <laughs> but I think that's what Anne Hathaway really taps into is like with that comment is as you said that there is a weird absurdity to the movie and to the relationship and it like which you do find in rom-coms and it is like they're together and they're apart but then they find each other in the end it's in the most fucked up way possible but it follows that kind of like structure even the line you said earlier like I'm so much happier now that I'm dead that's funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it just is yeah, and I think like the her plan is so absurd. It's so ridiculous that she like like gets this random idiot woman from the neighborhood. Oh my god, happens the to lady. be pregnant. Played she by... takes the toilet water. Like what? She drains the toilet and then plies the pregnant lady with lemonade. Yeah. She pees in the toilet and then goes, "Don't worry about it. It's broken. Just it's fine." And then scoops the pregnant lady pee out of the toilet, puts it in the thing. Then she goes to the doctor. Then she like sneaks the. I didn't really. I don't. I'm not quite sure about this. But she puts it in the doctor's cupboard. But then she also steals a thing to drain blood so that she can then drain mm. a bunch of blood, put mm. it on the kitchen floor. Clean up, but not clean up it. too well. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, you're I like, know. and she puts the picture frame and it's like, this is, oh my God. <laughs> she clearly was very, very bored one day. <laughs> yeah. I was like, do you know what? I'm going to plan, plan my own, plan my own kind of murder, I suppose. Just but, um... so she can like eat Kit Kats. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's one thing I was going to say about um, the cinematography I think is really interesting. In this movie, the way that Fincher and I think the cinematographer is called Jeff Cronenworth. I will check that. But I think that's his name. Uh, they film it because it's really interesting, I think, the way that they film the character of Amy because, you know, in the flashbacks, like when she's kissing uh, Nick and you know, it's all like golden and like she's sort of bathed in this like angelic spotlight. And like she's this perfect human, but when the narrative changes to her narrative, it's real what's going on. It's like the camera, like Rosamund Pike, by the way. No matter what false perspectives you put on her, try and make her look ugly, like she's always gonna be beautiful. But do you know what I mean? The camera sort of takes this more like grubby, unflattering approach to the way it films her character. I think when we have that change in narrative, like she's no longer this like floating angel bathed in spotlight. Yeah, it's like the color, just the contrast, just like zoom. Yeah, just drains from her face. Yeah, mm. and there's a great sort of a great makeup going on there because they just sort of <laughs> I don't know they're like irritate her face, make it look really <laughs> irritated for some reason. Even though I don't know what she did to her face and like the <laughs> yeah <laughs> the five minutes she was pretending to be dead. It's like I'm just gonna rub like acidic peeler all over my face. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's 
it's clever because it's not it's not too overboard it's like she, she you know she strips the the blonde dye out of her hair so it goes back to sort of like a like a mousy a kind of yeah but it's not like over the top she puts glasses on but they're kind of nice glasses so it's not this sort of ridiculous like i'm putting on a disguise of just being a normal <laughs> look it's rosamund pike i'm just being a normal lady it's more about the fact that now she's free she doesn't have to put the effort in so yeah it's like this is how amy would have lived her entire life if she never felt the pressures to it's interesting isn't it because like it's what you're saying earlier like nick has these pressures to be a perfect husband but he doesn't feel like he wants to be and he can't live up to and it's the same with amy like she talks a lot about being the cool girl and the pressures on young women to be like this perfect wife and you be fully shaved and beautiful and like dedicated to her husband and you know but she doesn't like want to be that way so they both have these expectations that they feel pressure to fulfill but they a can't and b don't want to yeah it's like a, a lifetime performance almost yeah it is <laughs> like they are just in the running for an oscar their entire lives and they don't want it but they also don't yeah they don't know how to operate it without it which i guess is why they end up together again at the end mm, yeah yeah it is but i think the cool girl thing is uh is quite interesting about society's expectations of these young beautiful women i think that's why like amy hates um can't remember the character's name. Let me Google. Emily Ratajowski. Did I say her surname right? I never know how to pronounce Emily Ratajowski's surname. But, you know, Andy, like... Because for Amy, Andy is the cool girl that she, like, wanted to be. But she didn't want to be it. But she felt pressure to be it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and maybe there's a part of her that, you know, thinks that Andy might also be doing the cool girl thing. That Andy, because she's young and um you know yeah she's young and she's a student and she's like super sexy and and is she also doing this elaborate ritual where she's always playing up this sort of carefree beautiful model-esque person does she also just want to like sit in glasses and eat fritos all day yeah (laughs) you know yeah and then that scene that uh where andy goes and does a speech and you know she's like amy says you know where where, why your tits not out do you know what i mean like she's sort of Andy's doing a speech uh, and she's like surrounded by Amy's parents and she looks all like her shoulders are hunched over and like Amy's frustrated that she's then not being like the cool girl because she was wanting Andy to play that role in the story. Yeah, and it's like here's another performance and it's all these women performing for each other and for men and, you know, there's not much truth there. Yeah, so messed up. (laughs) (laughs) This is why we love it. Yeah, although it's interesting. I find the term cougar really fascinating because I feel like recently it's sort of been flipped on its head and now it's some weird term of of, uh, some weird insult to call people a cool girl. Because you're a cool girl, you're fake. You're fake, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is really not what Gillian Flynn was writing about. The cool girl. There's lots of women who are naturally like that or who want to be like that because it gives themselves pleasure. Like women don't just dress up and put makeup on for 
to attract mates. Yeah, it makes <laughs> sexual us like feel better. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's mates. a self pleasure, and it's and and it's fun. Women like to construct images for themselves because it helps, like. Um, I don't know. It just helps you have like a bearing of yourself in the world where it's like, okay, I'm this person and I dress and I look how I feel inside. And like, that's not what Jillian Flynn was talking about. She was talking about cool girl. It's like, there's that aspect, but there's also this other idea that women do feel pressure to perform and construct an image that isn't the one that they want to construct that isn't authentic to themselves because they feel pressured to do so by society by society norms and expectations yeah, yeah. And so i find i feel like you can only ever call yourself a cool girl i think you can't call other like jennifer lawrence gets called a cool girl and i find that ridiculous because i don't think jennifer lawrence is performing for anybody i think she no she's very in fact jennifer lawrence is one of the people who i feel is most herself yeah <laughs> uh, in the way that she presents herself i mean sure she's like constructing an image and she is performing for like us the public but because everybody does that that's just how we act as humans but i don't think it's one that she's pretending to do because she wants to be liked by a certain set of people i think that is the image she just wants to be she just wants to be jennifer lawrence the celebrity however she might be as jennifer lawrence the human <laughs> yeah, yeah behind closed doors <laughs> i know what you mean i feel that in both the book and the novel the phrase cool girl is used in a way to really like both criticize and analyze the society the expectations society puts on women uh mm. to be these sort of like young beautiful perfect wives and like women i suppose but nowadays it is used in a it's not used in that analytical way it's used as like oh you're a cool girl like you're a fake person when like they might be faking it to be uh to satisfy society but you know that's not the issue that's not the issue with them that's the issue with society and expectations and also there are just women who just want to drink beer and eat pizza and also just happen yeah. to have great metabolisms <laughs> like yeah i mean i wish i was one of them <laughs> yeah those women are having a great time give them some slack leave them alone just let them live yeah. their lives i think it's like not our business to be speculating who is authentic and who is inauthentic it's more about you know i think the whole idea of cool girl is more for women to take away and interrogate themselves about it and be like mm. am i happy with how yeah, i, I present myself yeah. yeah you know that's yeah. a really interesting takeaway from this movie is to go am i amy am i performing for the world or am i yeah. just you know what do you show to the world and is it your authentic true self and yeah, yeah i know what you mean that's i get it, it's what you were saying about the anti like is it anti-feminism but no like if that's the main message like what drives amy is the whole like she's sick of these society expectations and obviously she takes it to an extreme level but that is what drives her at the end of the day yeah and her husband's shitty (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um i did want to talk about rosamund pike's performance because i love her and uh i think she's absolutely fantastic as amy in tapping into all of the sides of amy as well um I completely believe her as this beautiful, cold, calculating bitch. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sure Rosamund Pike is lovely, <laughs> but she is good as as Amy in this film. I 
am such a huge fan of Rosamund Pike because she has made such a career out of playing like prickly, unlikable women and that's my jam. I really like like mm-hmm. unlikable female characters because I I don't know, I I love that I crave that complexity. Um Yeah. Which I like females just don't get like female characters just don't get that really in a lot of um in a lot of films. Yeah, because I feel like we are in this sort of weird situation where studios only want to show empowering female characters because they're scared that, like, I don't know, they'll get flack if, like, <laughs> yeah, they have. It's a whole, yeah. uh, it's a whole issue with the phrase "strong female lead." It's like not everyone has to be a strong female lead. They think that calling your lead character in a film a strong female lead is a good thing because as you said they'll get flack but actually like it's good to show these characters with the flaws uh, which amy has plenty of by the way <laughs> like it's not a strong female lead it's just a main female character who is both strong and vulnerable and flawed yeah it's like i as a viewer and this is a true of every audience member you just want to be able to see all shades of yourself the good yeah. and the bad i i love wonder woman and i want to see like a superhero lady like punching through walls and just being good and pure but also i want to see a crazy psychopath murderer because <laughs> you know women are infinite we contain all these things and that's yeah that's feminism baby <laughs> <laughs> and there are aspects of amy that i like like I'm not saying by the way i understand where she's coming from because i'm not definitely gonna go and like murder uh, poor Neil Patrick Harris you know any day soon but uh, <laughs> I understand the not I understand like from personal experience but I can understand her journey in a sense of her parents pressure and may I think the amazing Amy thing is really interesting about how there's like a fictional version of her and she's always compared to amazing Amy who is like someone who doesn't have flaws and I can understand the frustrations and I can see how those frustrations grow I mean she takes it to extremes but do you know what I mean like yeah. I can see that journey it's sort of like that meme what is it where it's like she's right but she shouldn't say it <laughs> <laughs> like I, all her motivations are understandable and kind of correct but like she, you shouldn't actually do that <laughs> No, you but know. <laughs> I feel that I feel that you have to show the motivations and make them understandable to not just like like what's the word I'm looking for? Like not to feel too distanced from the character. You have to have some aspect of humanity to her. Yeah, and I think to really make the the message of the film sing, it's like you you have to understand where she's coming from, and then it becomes more about the marriage and the relationship as opposed to like look at this you know insane manipulating woman yeah yeah but i do think um rosamund pike just taps into every element of amy perfectly in the way that ben affleck does like ben affleck understands as you said as we said earlier that he's just a bit like his character nick like it's just a bit dumb (laughs) and not really with it and doesn't pay attention to anything and that's the issue, that's why, that's Nick's downfall, is he doesn't pay attention to his wife, he doesn't pay attention, like, early on in the relationship, hence why she sort of is struggling with it, but, and he's struggling with it, but then also doesn't pay attention, hence why he leaves himself vulnerable to her manipulation. Yeah, always confused when the cat's suddenly there, and he's like, oh, we should probably feed the cat. 
yeah it's like... the whole time being like guys i also exist <laughs> i know the poor cat yeah nick is like so lethargic it's frustrating <laughs> Like, his attitude, quite frankly, stinks. Sorry, Nick. But it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just... And I think, you know, I do have a lot of empathy for Nick as well because he's sort of a a construction of society in the sense that I think men are just trained to often suppress authenticity and, and honesty and emotional honesty and just be like... I'm the husband (laughs) (laughs) you know and and he's he's doing like sort of what society expects of him which is just to you know be there (laughs) yeah I don't know earn some money (laughs) like take care of his family yeah yeah take care yeah because he that's why they move because he feels like he needs to take care I think it's his mum who is ill right yeah Um, i said this film is literally all about social constructs uh and they both like both the main characters represent those social constructs and it's just interesting how it's just broken down um i would say as well the supporting cast i don't think any actor in this film is bad like the supporting cast really help add to it like i said earlier that i really like carrie coon as margot um, I actually really like Tyler Perry as you know, Tana, Tana Bolt, one of my favorite character names in a film. Because, sorry, but what lawyer is called Tana Bolt? <laughs> this lawyer, the guy who would defend these kinds of people. Wife murderers. Yeah. I think that's what they say, right? He's the guy who defends wife murderers. And they're like, Nick, mate, you have to get Tana Bolt. <laughs> but he, he's just, I think he's just got a really fun presence on screen. I like how eclectic the cast is as well because you know you have as well missy pile the great like comedy talent as a tv host yeah she's ellen abbott i think yeah 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 and the the neighbor the the really stupid neighbor is played by casey wilson who's also like a really funny comedian and Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris, like a revelation. Broadway talent. What I like about his character is that I feel like David Fincher watched How to Make Your Mother and recognized how uh, creepy Barney is. I don't know if you've ever revisited that show, but that character. I've never seen that show, Clarice. I'm not going to lie, but. Don't watch it. That character is like not okay. Um, yeah, but that, that's a different podcast, the Why How to Make Your Mother is a Terrible Show podcast. And it's such a strange character for Neil Patrick Harris to play because um, he's such a likable person on screen and in real life. And for him to play a, a total creep seems weird, but it feels like David Fincher watched that show and was like, oh, I'll show you the real Barney. <laughs> it's, yeah. Here's the character. He is so good as this sort of really like desi like oh gets under my skin he's that creepy but it's sort of the nice guy version of creepy because yeah he's so doting and he never you know he never like he's always careful not to do the thing that would or not to say the thing that would actually you know be you know like he, incriminating incriminating mm. yeah that's right yeah but he's always sort of hinting at it and this idea that 
he's sort of trying to subtly hint that she owes sex, you know, like without yeah, outright yeah. coming out and saying it. It's, it's so insidious and he plays that so well. Yeah. In a way, it's satisfying when he dies. Like, he horrific. Um, but you could, like, yeah. I could kind of see where that story might have gone if, like, she hadn't killed him. Yeah, like, he is... Because he's he is horrible. Yeah, yeah, and and I think her killing him is the sort of like final rage outburst of rage of a lifetime. Oh, it looks great like on camera because it's just the way it's shot. It's just like she's in this sort of lingerie, it's just blood everywhere. Like it just looks fantastic. Yeah, and it's it's again it's the the thing of like you understand why she did it. She shouldn't have done it, but <laughs> <laughs> you're like, well, I get why you did it though. But you shouldn't have done it, but I like get where you did it. Yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, the cast is interesting in what you said about how like it really is it really is eclectic. Uh, I also really like Kim Dickens as the uh as the cop here. Um I think it's just a really like solid police de- you're you're a police detective and you're gonna try and crack the mystery, but she kind of like side like sides with Nick and then like when when it's revealed that yeah amy's sort of playing him like she ben is very wary but i think you can tell there's an aspect of her which is still quite wary of amy yeah and lola kirk as the lady amy meets at the campground from oh the yeah mistress america which is a great movie and also sister to jemima kirk from girls like it's such a weird cast (laughs) but he's very good at getting good actors and putting together these like really really great cast I, like, I can't think of anyone who I don't like I don't think gives a bad performance in any way in this film yeah I'm trying to think of there's like somebody with one line yeah <laughs> <laughs> but even Emily Ratajkowski like she like she uh, this is her feature film debut obviously she's done like uh, I think she did a bit of TV because like, she's mostly known for being a model but I think she's really good as Andy as we said earlier this sort of like like seems like really carefree like he doesn't care that nick's currently you know under investigation for his wife's murder <laughs> like she still will go have go around to his uh, sister's apartment and shag him and but then like as says she the sort of weird performance that she puts on is it a performance you know when she reveals her story um i think she's really good so the guy the the police officer who finds the clue in the underwear drawer oh lee norris lee norris who was in yeah he was a main cast of one tree hill he was also apparently in zodiac oh well yeah it doesn't surprise me because um David Fincher likes to use the same actors, doesn't he? In his um, yeah, I thought you were going to be like David Fincher is a huge fan of Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> Loves it. I mean, it. who knows? As we said, <laughs> David Fincher remains a mystery. I really like the stories that he tells about Ben Affleck, and I don't know if it's true or not. I think I messaged you this, and I was like, "Is this true?" Because uh, it's really like I thought like it was a wee stories about how much of a how much Ben Affleck and David Fincher didn't get on on set, and something about like. Um, it's in like a director's commentary that Ben Affleck didn't want to wear a certain hat for is it a baseball team uh, because it wasn't a team he supports and then production shut down for five days like I don't know if it's true but I yeah. like all these weird stories that also surround Gone Girl <laughs> it sort of makes so what happened is that 
he refused to wear a Yankees cap because he's he's Boston boy, Duncan. Uh, <laughs> um, the Boston Red Sox, I think, are longtime like enemies of the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, and he's like a really big, big Red Sox fan. Yeah, but I just find it really weird. I don't know if I said like Dave Finch said that production shut down, shut down for several days. I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but I do like all these sort of stories that surround their making office quite frankly like they're quite frankly absurd stories about this quite frankly absurd film but they're just believable enough that's the thing it's like mm, i kind of could see ben Affleck shutting down production for four days <laughs> because like that man loves being from boston <laughs> yeah it's not like you know he puts into many of his movies <laughs> he feels very passionately about the fact he's from boston which as someone not from boston like i'm from phoenix arizona no one's like that passionately connected to being from phoenix so like i don't get it on a personal level but like you know you yeah. do you ben affleck you do you i mean they haven't worked together since although this is the last film he's made before before mank so yeah i don't really see ben affleck being in mank no i um i just really like how they just didn't get on and I'm sure Ben Affleck's lovely, but I can definitely see why he would play this really unlikable <laughs> character. <laughs> he plays unlikable just really well. Yeah, and just sort of like, yeah, it's just that grin, that smile that he has in this movie. When they when they pose for the photo with um, he poses for a photo, doesn't he, with like the missing Amy, and he's smiling, and you're like, why are you doing this? <laughs> Like he smiles a few and he smiles when this woman asks him for a selfie and it's the same sort of half like sheepish. Yeah. And she actually you were saying about eclectic cast. The woman who asked him for a selfie, she is a uh, a main character in the TV show episodes, which is a great show. Amazing. Um, again, maybe he's just a fan a, a fan of episodes as well. I feel the thing is, it's like if you get asked, would you like to be in a David Fincher movie, you just don't say no. Oh yeah, no. I'd be like, don't even tell me what's it about, what it's about. I just want to turn up on set day one. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as we said earlier, like Gone Girl, like I really think has stood the test of time because of the way that there's so many layers to unpeel. Like it is, it feels fresh on every watch, um, which it shouldn't do because I know the story so well. But it, like it all, like as we said earlier, that turning point, the reveal halfway through, where it changes to her narrative. Like, it still gets me every single time. I think there's so many different perspectives that you can take on it that is endlessly rewatchable because you can slightly just shift your viewpoint on it each time. Yeah, in terms of the your opinion on the characters. Yeah, or even what's going on because, you know, what's interesting is that at the end of the film we still really don't know what the truth of their relationship was whether there was a grain of truth to the things that she wrote in her diary yeah we actually don't know yeah because sometimes i feel that the way the film portrays it is that she was like lying but also like like i don't know like do we know that not really yeah, because to believe that, we're having to trust Nick, who <laughs> is inherently untrustworthy. But it's the same with Amy, that like they're both unreliable. Exactly. So you're kind of left in the suspension of, 
I don't believe either of them and it's almost impossible to ever know the truth of what was happening between them. What I am certain of though is it's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why it also continues to fascinate. <laughs> that cat should be taken out of that house. <laughs> Rescue I mean, the cat. <laughs> and they're having a baby. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like they should just be left in a house and this big empty cold house as well, you know, which really suits their relationship, I think, mm. and their characters. And you should just the door should be shut, and no one should ever interfere with what's going on, or just just leave them yeah. to it. Yeah, <laughs> take the cat out, just leave them to it. Yeah, the poor cat. <laughs> so I just I and it it's to me this is one of the all time great cat movies because the cat, <laughs> like the cat's never given a name or properly introduced. It's just like there. <laughs> all the yeah. time <laughs> i think maybe david fincher has a thing for like i think he's a cat fan because the cat also i also really like the cat in girl drunk tattoo um mm. and that, that's obviously that's very important to me like in daniel craig's character in that film so yeah cats are important and david fincher recognizes this <laughs> and i guess it's just it is realistic because often in films where somebody has a pet you see the pet at like pivotal moments. They introduce the pet. But then when, when shit goes down, that pet is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> well, here, like there's murder shit going down and also the cat needs to be fed. Yeah. <laughs> FYI, like the cat is just a constant presence and it doesn't know what's going on. It's just like <laughs> sitting on the counter. It's like when he finds out that, sorry, this is a lot of cat chat, but <laughs> when he finds out... <laughs> pregnant or like pregnant in air quotes and he smashes the glass and then the cat's just wandering around on the glass <laughs> doopity doop and he's like what are you doing yeah the, the cat needs it yeah. someone needs to rescue that cat from the dun family yeah there's no, no idea that what's happening just padding around <laughs> it's great i do love how we've now ended our discussion on gone girl with cats <laughs> Yeah. Also love that when he's giving the officers the tour of the house, he's like, here's our bedroom, guest bedroom, cat's, cat's room. Bedroom. <laughs> like, yeah. sorry, the cat has a bedroom? Yeah, but Carice, you're, you're speaking to someone whose cat does have a bedroom. <laughs> oh my God. To be fair, it's just a spare room and that just so happens where the cat bed is. Right. It's not, but it is called the cat's room. So in, cat's in my room. house. But it seems like the cat had a lot of things in that room. There was like a little climbing thing. And a- Do you know what I find interesting is Amy and Nick don't, don't strike me as cat people. <laughs> yeah, you don't really know where the cat came from. <laughs> that was not in her diary. <laughs> Today, we got a cat. And I'm the happiest girl in the world. <laughs> there's, there's many mysteries of Gone Girl with cat being one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need a remake yeah. from the cat's perspective. A cat version of events. Because the cat will be reliable narrator compared to bloody Amy and Nick. <laughs> the cat knows the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah, I do like how we end the discussion on we need a cat's version of events. It's the only way to know. <laughs> it is, yeah. I So I've been trying to decide what my favourite David Fincher film is through doing this podcast. And I still don't know. It's. I feel like it's torn between Gone Girl and The Social Network. But I also really love The Girl Drank Tattoo. It's really hard to decide. <laughs> I think it depends what mood I'm in because 
you look at Gone Girl and Social Network, like they're completely different films. Um, like, I think Gone Girl definitely is more rewatchable because it's not just like Erin Sorkin screaming in my face. So, and it, which I enjoy, by the way. <laughs> but, um, but do you know what I mean? Like, Gone Girl is interesting because it is like popcorn entertainment, but there is like if you watch it like there's so many layers and stuff to dive into and like stuff to analyze as well it's got it's got everything really yeah and what's interesting about david fincher is he's not a writer director so yeah there is a really a unique identity to each of his films so it's hard to it is hard to rank them because of that because they are all very much doing their own thing yeah and it's like I said the only common theme I find with his films is, my God, they are bleak. <laughs> like, they are all very individual, but they are all bleak. That's, like, the only common thing I'd say between... Like, because, as you said, they are very individual films. Yeah, sort of bleak and meticulous and cynical. <laughs> very, very cynical. But Gone Girl is definitely up there for me, especially in terms of the most rewatchable one. Yeah. And you should you should definitely read the book, Clarice. I think you'd like it. I will. I will actually read it and not just read whatever as I usually do. <laughs> I'm gonna send you my copy <laughs> and then be like report back. <laughs> yeah, maybe if I just have it on my shelf, I'll just I will read it. And um, see normally I end the podcast with asking the guests, Are you looking forward to seeing Mank? But you've seen it. You lucky sod. <laughs> I have seen Mank. You're going to really like it. So I actually, I'm watching it tonight because I got Netflix sent me a little screener, which is very lovely of them. Um, did you enjoy it? Just quick, I mean, read your, read, read Clarice's full review, but obviously I just want to know if you enjoyed <laughs> it very quickly. I found, found it fascinating. I think I was, I was just like enraptured. I don't know, it makes it so interesting because it, it's not sort of a film I just sat down and was like, I'm having a great time, it's fun. Because my brain like dived straight into <laughs> the the sort of subtext and the text and the details. And it's such a, it's a really rich film. I think mm. it's his his richest in terms of the amount you can unpack and the amount you can sort of branch off and and explore different routes because he's taken in all these real life figures and these events. And it's not just, it's not just the story of how Citizen Kane was written and created and produced. It's the story of Hollywood at the time and the, the political atmosphere and the oppressiveness of it. And that Hollywood was so openly conservative at that time i think hollywood now is sort of secretly conservative (laughs) (laughs) you know because everyone wants to openly appear very liberal and progressive but behind closed doors pretty sure different things are happening but you know i think to see yeah it's really interesting to look at at, at the parallels and the history and and all the things and so i'm really excited to re-watch it because Mm. i think (laughs) <laughs> like I think I was so my brain was sort of working so quickly <laughs> and so rapidly trying to process all these things um I kind of want to just go back as a like a non-reviewer and just enjoy it as a movie because it is also like beautifully written and acted and there is 
there is a lightness to it. It's incredibly cynical. About yeah, I'd expect that from Fincher. <laughs> As we said, all his films <laughs> cynical, and and not. I, I don't think Mank will be bleak. I don't know. I've not seen it, but I imagine there's a sort of like depressing aspect to it as well as you said in terms of the politics yeah that's the thing it's bleak on a sort of like wider moral level but i think scene by scene it's maybe one of his lightest films because there are some really nice moments especially between herman mankiewicz and marion davies which is amanda seyfried's character she is so good (laughs) she's so good she's so good and she brings such a a lightness to it um but she's sort of playing somebody like gone girl she's playing somebody who's always had to present a certain image of herself as the frothy like comedian Mm. and her performance is always trying to wrestle between the two aspects of herself the the image that is expected of her and who she is really which is sort of a tough talk and Oh, I can't remember. I, I think she's from Brooklyn. Like a tough, tough, tough talking Brooklyn gal. And she likes swigs champagne by like slamming it on her thigh. And she's like, look, look, look. <laughs> you know, like she's, she's such yeah. a complicated, interesting woman. And um, I really loved her. I will say the, I think Finch is someone who's had some great female characters. Mm-hmm. Some of the I other totally female agree. characters in Mank a little one note like supportive of man <laughs> you know all oh, right it surprises me considering like he like amy dunn lisbeth Solander, um they obviously the female-led films but even the likes of um god what what film are about like fight club i really like helena mahama carter's like character i think she's really nuanced like i think he has some great female characters but yeah as you said some of the ones in bank you said a uh, one note yeah, there's two of them um, that are just a little bit there to just be very understanding of the male genius. And I hate mm. those characters because, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I think know. it creates an idea that women in relationships and or, you know, professional and personal should just always be understanding and be like, oh, male genius, I understand when it's like why can't again this is like amy you know be complicated and thorny and be female geniuses who need to be put up with (laughs) yeah because sometimes women are very hard to be around and are annoying (laughs) and they need people to also just silently put up with them as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i'm really excited to see mag i hope i like it i'm watching it tonight so i will find out shortly um well thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking about gone girl such a good film such a good film thank you for inviting me and putting up with me talking about cats so... i mean as a cat owner and fan you're playing to the right audience there, <laughs> yeah we have a all cat podcast <laughs> yeah um i suppose last question uh where can uh, listeners see more of your work and follow your social media i know you hate this bit but hopefully it's you yeah, we'll get out of the way quickly <laughs> Just because I'm really lazy and I always say just go to my social media because I, you know, got to self-promote. I post everything on there. So I am uh, at Clarice Lou. Uh, just start typing my name in a Twitter. It'll come up. There's not yes. many people with my name, so <laughs> quite easy to find. It's such a unique, <laughs> a very pretty name. I, uh, I like your name. Uh, well, thank you for coming on. It's been great. 
Thank you. That was me and Cleese Lockley discussing Finch's film Gone Girl. On the next episode, film journalist Nev Pierce joins me to chat about Mank, the director's latest film. Don't forget to subscribe to his podcast so you never miss an episode, and follow us on Twitter too, at The Fincher Takes It. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Gongo and any feedback on the podcast. See you next time.